Well, I hope your Tuesday was a pleasant day. Uh, that, uh, well, we're having a few electricity problems again here in Lanasia. Oh, that was very interesting. Um, meeting the guys in the community, you know. We've got a, a small shackland developing uh, on the other side. The railway line's close by here. About 4,000 shacks mushroomed up overnight. And uh, now there's uh, stress on the electricity supply. We've got uh, those sparrows' nests of, of wires. These in yoga wires are like stretching across roads. Uh, and they're forever tripping the electricity. Um, you know, you need cooperation. And now you've got two communities that are staring at each other with distrust. Um, dark nights in the community at night. It's walking home last night and... Uh, I met a few of the brothers around a small little green substation. You know, you've, you've, you see them on the corners and so on. Well, the substation has basically become a community property now. Um, it was joking in between the guys. Yeah, uh, we called uh, Jovic Power out. And, well, we've been standing here, you know, flipping the switch and flipping the switch and flipping the switch. So finally we decided we'll call Jovic Power out and see what they can do. Well, Jovic Power came out. took him about 40 minutes to come out and... They were in there, they came up to the substation and they went up and they flipped the same switch. <laughs> so the guys are saying, well, okay, well, now, now, now we know we don't need Jobbik Power anymore. We won't call him anymore. Jobbik Power refuses to do anything other than flip the switch, you see, because uh, they say, ah, uh, we've got legal constraints. We can do nothing about these easy yoga wires because they might be attached to other things. If we cut these wires, somebody might die. And then we're going to be liable, so we're not going to cut the wires. But in actual fact, what's really happening is the job power workers are scared they're going to be shot if they start cutting down the wires uh, so you see um, well you know it's freezing cold and tensions tensions arise uh, remarkably quickly uh, in the middle of winter when suddenly people's power gets cut off but I mean you know temper, uh, tempers rise even more if you've actually paid for the power that's been cut off and now it's been cut off by people who are not paying for the power and have got no intention of doing so Mm-hmm. Huh? Uh, well, what are these? Are these tensions uh, being experienced by ordinary human beings because of systemic uh, incapacity to meet our needs? The system is failing. The system is failing. You might say the system is failing as it was supposed to do. Um, you know, we're always, uh, in, in one hand or another in our private little lives, scrambling to make up for the inadequacies of the system that's supposed to uh, look after us. It doesn't matter if we suddenly find ourselves without a pension fund when we come to retirement. It doesn't matter if, uh, you know, we have a life-threatening uh, complication and we uh, get sent to hospital and we're told, no, I'm sorry, but this is not on your schedule of, uh, of covered uh, operations and I'm afraid we can't fund it. You're going to have to pay for it out of your own pocket. I don't know if you've ever found yourself moving into a private hospital in an emergency situation at night. Fortunately, I have. and uh, f- Well, unfortunately, I have. But fortunately, it wasn't my emergency situation. And uh, fortunately, we did have a family member with us who was able to pull out a checkbook and uh, write out a check for 250,000 rands. That's to get a cancer, a dying cancer patient admitted to hospital. Hmm? <laughs> Yeah, yeah, indeed, uh, how the system uh, looks after us. Eh? You know, we save up all the money, we put them into the funds instead of putting them into our families, as we're supposed to do under La Taala system. No, instead, uh, we be, um, every redirection of uh, funding streams uh, towards uh, the system is in actual fact a cutting off of funding streams to our loved ones and our family members. We're supposed to be uh, committing this money to looking after our family members, but instead we send it off to a medical aid, to a pension fund, uh, to an investment company who are going to manage our portfolio. Mm, yes. Yeah, well, you know, basically they've got a little computer machine that, uh, that, that tracks an index, and uh, basically, you know, um, it pays out accordingly. They don't do anything, and they charge you fees. Well, you know, you'll get some of them will say, no, but we don't charge high fees like the active fund managers do. 
Uh, it's a saying on the show that the biggest pools connect, uh, attract the biggest hippos, and that is what's happening with pension funds and medical aids. Look what happens with the medical aid. Huh? You, you, you go to hospital, and uh, you sign. You sign off for your, your expenses at the end of your private hospital stay, and you find like you charge for like packets of gauzes and for tubes of ointment and so on. And when you think back about it, but you know, when they brought that tube of ointment around, they didn't give me the whole tube. They gave me a little squeeze from the tube. Uh, and then they took the tube to another patient and they, 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 they squeezed from the tube and they, they, they charged for the whole tube. They give you one swab and they charge for a whole packet of swabs. Mm. Yeah, you know, yes, doctors out there. Hmm? You've never done that yourself. No, no, no. You're one of the innocent doctors. Yes. Well, I guess it's a bit like uh, journalists, you know, um, in, in the in the 1990s when all the township wars were going ongoing and we were trying to build democracy in South Africa, or so we thought. Mm, you know, you'd run off into the townships and you'd risk your life and, uh, you know, uh, you'd, you'd tell each other stories afterwards and you'd, you'd link arms and you'd sing songs about staying together. And those were the days, my friend, we thought they'd never end. But boy, did they. They did end, and suddenly the friends were heading out and teaming up with all sorts of unmentionable mentionables. I guess the medical profession, just like the journalism profession or any other profession, is only as good as the people who populate it. And uh, if the people who populate it aren't going to be very careful about the company that they keep, it's not going to be very long before the profession is rotten to the core. Ah, uh, yeah, you know. Professional standards, uh, what are they? It's basically excuses that are policed by um, an, 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 a, a group of people who um, in, in most social situations would be regarded as completely inadequate. And that's how they end up on committees and boards and so on, you know. The, um, the pension fund committee at your work that is looking after your pension fund, sure. Go and have, go and have a look at who they are. It will not be very reassuring, I can tell you. Yeah, well, anyway, yeah, in South Africa, things are, you know, tense, but uh, interesting as well. Chinese curse me, living interesting times. Go and have a look at the tail of the tape that is the JSE in terms of uh, whatever degree it is a thermometer for the health of our economy. Um, increasingly uh, completely disassociated from the economic realities on the ground in South Africa. Um, very strong uh, investment on the JSE, taking it up to record territory while the, the wider economy struggles to uh, find some growth in anywhere or you know, find direction. But the JSE continues uh, from strength to strength, largely on account of foreign money that continues pouring into it, chasing the higher yields of our interest rates and, of course, our bonds as well. You see, um, they uh, they issued themselves a whole lot of funny money in the United States. I've been reading up a whole lot of articles in new monetary theory and so on, and I can tell you this much, as far as I'm concerned, it's a lot of tosh. It's a lot of bunkum. They say that uh, that government debt is now no longer a um, a financial consideration or an economic consideration. It is now, now merely a political consideration. Any country that has its own central bank can basically engage in quantitative easing, as as we 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 could be doing here. But but what we would be doing with the money would just be handing it over to a bunch of gangsters. Um, I'm, I'm sorry, but uh, I'm looking at the narrative coming out of the ANC. Uh, and as far as I'm concerned, the ANC is, is, is on their own. You know, um, I don't want to be associated with the, the, the policies and the constraints that come out of it. They've dug themselves into a hole. They've dug the whole country into a hole. And hopefully they go, we're, we're, we're somehow are they going to get out of this uh, okay. But, um, well, you know, the hopes aren't very strong. Uh, I've got brothers and sisters and um, cousins and nephews who are all preparing to leave the country. And I'm like sort of saying, I'm going nowhere. Everyone has to die somewhere, you know, when they start talking about the dangers of living in South Africa. That's the truth of the matter. Everyone has to die somewhere. It's a bit like I, I, I feel like, you know, the injunction, uh, the Islamic injunction that when uh, uh, cholera or plague breaks out in a city, you're not allowed to leave. You have to stay. And that's kind of like the ethos that I'm sticking with uh, at the moment. 
It's going to be a sad day when I wave goodbye to my, my brothers as, as they get on the plane. Um, but it was a decision I made many, many, many years ago and committed myself to still don't have an Irish passport as all my brothers and sisters have. Quite happy with my Zansi passport. Yeah, you, 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 you've got to live with the consequences of your life. You know, you can't always run away. And I, of course, come from a nuclear family, you see. We, uh, we, were, we were taught from a very young age that um, when you finish school, you're on your own. I thought it was the most idiotic notion I'd ever encountered in my life. Well, I was only five at the time. But I never changed my mind. Never changed my mind. Um, and uh, I still hold true to that today. And I'm going to stay in South Africa. Well, anyway, the JSE taking uh, losing quite a bit of ground today, although it may be in record territory, relative record territory. Um, it's uh, lost 1.33% today to drop to 56,000. I'm amazing. Like on Friday, it was on 59,000. Today, it's on 56,963.80. Um, the top 40 index, uh, with its heavy weighting of international shares, they're down 1.43%. So it's uh, dropping even further than the all-share index. I think largely due to that international weighting. Uh, international shares across the world, uh, looking at, oh boy, you know, there was all that good news. Yay, Huawei is, isn't going to be sanctioned. But, well, the, the tariffs remain in place and the trade war is still building up and it doesn't look, it, it's not looking nice. In the meantime, the United States doing it best to um, cobble together a coalition of the willing. Uh, managed to persuade Britain to uh, confiscate an Iranian oil shipment in Gibraltar. Now it turns out on Sunday another oil shipment was confiscated in Egypt in the Suez Canal, uh, which is a, that's an interesting little development that because uh, Egypt, when uh, Donald Trump went and tried to like a, cobble together a coalition of the Arab willing, uh, back in 2017, uh, when uh, he persuaded uh, Saudi Arabia to uh, try and form an Arab NATO. Uh, uh, Saudi Arabia immediately called on its Gulf allies to fall in step behind it. Uh, you know, when you've got a nutter like MBS uh, in your crew, there's not uh, it's not exactly going to get um, an, an enthusiastic response, uh, which is something that Donald Trump didn't uh, didn't consider. He always considered his crews like you know he's got the best friends. You see, you can ask him. He's got the best words. He's got the best friends, and everything is going to be fantastic. No, it really, is his friends say so. You can you can find them. You can you know he'll tell you. Um, well, unless, of course, you're not one of the best friends. They probably won't want to talk to you. Uh, but they always want to talk to Donald Trump because Donald Trump always has the best words. And Donald Trump went over to Arabia with the best words from the best country in the world with the best president it's ever had. Um, and uh, he got down there and he met the king and he met the clown prince. And uh, they all plotted together and decided they're going to fall in Arab NATO. So... Saudi Arabia immediately called its minions and said, right, he was falling behind us. We've got Donald Trump uh, and uh, Mohammed bin Sultan. Uh, is, uh, he's, he's actually getting him. He's bought himself a red tie. Um, that little red uh, black ring they have on their heads. Apparently, he's going to start wearing a red one in honor of Donald Trump. Uh, and so they called on the Gulf Cooperation Council. They said, listen, uh, you guys, we, we, we need to take on Iran. Uh, we want you to fall in line. So immediately the Gulf Cooperation Council fell apart, <laughs> split right down the middle. Um, you've got uh, um, Kuwait, uh, Qatar, and Oman uh, said, and Iraq immediately said, sorry, but we're having nothing to do with this, uh, mainly because Qatar and uh, Oman and um, well, they, they they share common oil fields with uh, with Iran, um, and of course they're very very close to Iran, and they've got a very big Shia populations. Uh, so, like you know, we're really going to um, anger the majority of our populations here on behalf of the United States. Not going to happen. Sorry, um, Iraq said uh, we, we we've had enough of the fun and games. You've got American Marines and. Uh, American policy destroying our country for how long? Since 2003, 16 years. Well, it was 2017 then, so, so it was 14 years. But nevertheless, um, 
Gulf Cooperation Council fell apart. The coalition of the unwilling was a very small little coalition consisting of, um, looks like Saudi Arabia and um, uh, Emirates. Um, mm, uh, what's, uh, what's the name of those funny countries there? I don't know, man. You know, the, 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 these are just little oil fields that Winston Churchill drew a circle around and said, I'm calling your country a Nuremir. Well done. Um, don't worry, we'll sign a, a, a mutual defense uh, agreement with you, and so uh, if you ever need defending, we'll come and defend you. So you've got these little Shia puppets who, who sit in charge of, I mean, Sunni puppets who sit in charge of Shia majority populations. Ah, and it's a very unfortunate coming. You know, I'm, 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 I'm Sunni myself, and uh, in a way, it's, 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 it is an unfortunate um it's an unfortunate coincidence that most of the oil uh, has Shias living on top of them in Arabia, uh, which is why, like, you know, you had to ring fence oil fields and put a Sunni in charge uh, back in 1925 when these these uh, these borders were drawn. Yeah, so uh, we're sitting with intractable problems, not of our own making, uh, but nevertheless it would appear that when it comes to dying, that's our main responsibility as Muslims. Everyone's got to die. Everyone's got to die. That's what I say to myself on a regular basis. Everyone's got to die, and everyone's got to die somewhere. You know, you can go to Ireland. You can stay in South Africa. You can uh, go and coalesce with the willings. uh, But everyone's going to die, and you're going to have to face you're going to have to face your maker, your creator, Allah Ta'ala. And you're going to have to answer for what you've done. You're going to have to answer for what you've done. And it would appear that the many Muslims right now, they're not bothered with that kind of uh, consideration at all. Uh, Rand is doing pretty well uh, against most major currencies. 14.16 to the dollar. Slightly weaker, actually. It's like two cents weaker than yesterday. 17.63 against the pound and uh, 15.87 against the euro. Uh, gold is in $1,397 of fine ounce on the nose. And, uh, well, that kind of indicates that uh, despite the reassuring sounds that came out of the G20 meeting, uh, that those reassurances are no longer having much of an effect. Uh, that uh, high gold price not falling down, indicating that people are still mistrustful both of the American recovery as well as new monetary theory that says that you can print as much money as you like. As long as you only dole it out to millionaires and billionaires, um, you uh, the you get banks to buy the bonds from the Reserve Bank, and uh, then uh, the banks go and sell the bonds back to the Reserve Bank. The Reserve Bank gives them money, and then they go and invest the money on, on listed uh, investments on the stock exchange. And then the stock exchange guys, they sit there with all this money, and they say, what should we do with all this money? Someone's bought a whole lot of shares. Say, so, well, we'll go and we'll buy another whole lot of our own shares. Ah. Uh, <clears throat> And apparently, it goes according to new uh, monetary theory, which is what quantitative easing is all about. Millionaires and billionaires largesse, uh, bailouts for billionaires. Um, you can continue doing this for as long as you like, and uh, you know, a government debt is merely a political question. It's no longer an economic question because you see the debt can be uh, underwritten by taxes. Uh, nonsense story. Nonsense story. And uh, it's, uh, it's, it's only something which has been held up by, by, by two things. One, the fact that most of this nonsense is coming out of Europe and America and they desperately need it. And uh, they've like the main trading centers, banking centers and so on. And so from these centers, uh, this theory starts coming out. We all know that they should have grabbed the Mugabe option. They should have been pushed into the Mugabe line and had a massive devaluation of their currencies. Of course, they couldn't allow that sort of thing, being uh, indispensable nations, and also, of course, having very white skins. And uh, as a result of that, well, now they've got trillions and trillions of dollars and euros on their books, and they say that uh, they don't have to get rid of them anytime soon. Uh, America, America, the U.S. Fed under, um, under Yellen, uh, did try. It, it went into... Uh, um, and they, they, they called it uh, quantitative tantrums um, when they started uh, trying to raise interest rates in the United States in order to start paying back the quantitative easing money. 
And uh, immediately emerging markets uh, suffered a major shock because all of the money immediately pulled out of emerging markets and went into U.S. Treasuries because, you know, there's high yields now in the United States. That's going to help um, the yields on, on U.S. Treasuries. And uh, so everyone pulled into U.S. Treasuries and pulled out of emerging markets. The emerging markets actually squealed when America started reducing its cash pile. That was back in around about 2015, I think, if my memory serves me correctly. So, uh, you know, it's, uh, we're, we're, we're all guilty to the system. Of course, all of our reserve banks, all the countries that do have reserve banks, uh, our money is, uh, is stored. Our, our reserves are stored in dollars. We've got dollars, you know. We want to go and show how much money have you got in reserves. We get, we, we've got it in dollars. And uh, this is why it's interesting, you know, um, the, the Africa Free Trade Agreement being signed um, uh, at the weekend. Uh, and now there's also steps to put together an African monetary fund. The monetary fund, basically the free trade, they're trying to turn the whole of Africa into free trade zone. At the moment, uh, they're doing things like um, reducing uh, barriers to trade, um, you know, all, all kinds of things like um, weighing stations and uh, customs rules and so on of course you see uh these countries they they get money from their customs tariffs so they want to keep the tariffs as high as possible on their borders uh but then that reduces trade and prevents trade from taking place and so you you, you can't have like uh, ec- economic growth as long as your trade isn't isn't happening you have to trade with other people in order to grow so uh, uh, barriers to trade, technological barriers to trade, tariffs themselves are also being addressed. And hopefully uh, by 2022, that is the hope, Africa is going to be a free trade zone. So you can go and trade with any African country in Africa. What they want to do with the African Monetary Fund is to create a fund that is going to allow African countries to trade in their own currencies. At the moment, when African countries trade with each other, it's usually in a third-party currency, almost always the dollar and sometimes the euro. So now that means that uh, 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 the kwacha out of uh, Malawi, someone uh, comes from Blantyre, and uh, he wants to do trade with the Cape Town company. Cape Town company wants to send widgets up to Blantyre. And, uh, you know, um, the Cape Town company doesn't want kwacha. And uh, the Blantyre company doesn't want rands. So as a result, they go and change their currencies into dollars and then they trade in the dollars. So then you have a currency cost in rands and you have a currency cost in kwacha. So that uh, this is apparently costing the continent around about $5 billion a year. It's about 75 billion rands. Um, that's, it's, a, it's a fair bit of money for Africa. It's uh, it's not uh, completely um, fatal to trade, but, uh, you know, why? Why have that additional cost? And uh, I really look forward to the, um, in fact, it looks like uh, Western Africa may soon be getting its own currency, its own trade currency. It looks as though it's going to be the first part uh, of the continent to, to have a common currency. Well, you could say that, in fact, the SADC, South African, Southern African Development Community, was the first you can use the rand in um, in some of our neighboring countries, but not all of them. Zimbabwe tried, did try to go onto the rand, but uh, its economy was in such a mess, the Reserve Bank refused to go to cooperate. Uh, and now they uh, owe us a whole lot of money to pay for our electricity, pay for the electricity and so on. Hmm. Well, it's, uh, I, I really wish Zimbabwe all of the best with their efforts to try and re, re, refloat an, an uh, a indigenous uh, dollar there. Uh, but uh, yeah, they've got a big, a big climb, a very steep climb ahead of them. Um, so, uh, etols, yeah, etols. Just before I go on with this, I have to say something on behalf of my 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 one very argumentative brother. You see, we all come from the East Rand, and uh, Tolkien built yeah yeah the old the the, the old apartheid boys, the old apartheid boys. You know, you see people go on about ANC corruption, but in actual fact, this corruption between the booties was there also during apartheid. Um, and, you know, anyone who's connected with the Bruderbund could get all kinds of, like, state contracts, just like you're getting with ANC nowadays. 
Um, it's just that with the ANC, there's more people, you know, and basically uh, they're now feeding on the entire system itself. Look at uh, look at ESCOM. Boy, where 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 are we all going to end up? Yeah, may Allah bless this country. May Allah favor this country. May Allah bless us with the best of leaders, and may He bless our leaders with the best of helpers, and may He surround them with the best of followers. You know, we, we, we've always been taught in school and uh, adverts and television and so on that everyone must be a leader. Mm-hmm. You know, in Islam, they, uh, in Islam, if you're a leader, you get no reward for the things you do as a leader, and you get twice the punishment for the mistakes you make. So, you know, in the Akhirah, there is no benefit to you having been a leader. Although I do recall from the Miraj, from the Miraj um, Ahadith, Anibir Karim also said that there's also special punishment for a person who was supposed to be a leader and didn't take up the role. Mm. So, you know, it's a bit of a rock and a hard place there, you know. But, you know, everyone's teaching their kids to be leaders. They must be leading, you must step up the plate. No, you must be direct, you must be confident. You know, and so isn't anyone to no one to follow anyone. Uh, yeah, but we've got a whole bunch of sheep pretending to be lions. That's what's happening in the world today. Um, we're just going to have to go for a quick commercial break. A uh, bit of word from the marketplace to pay our way. Uh, inshallah, we'll be back in a moment. Please don't go away. Marukha Sahaba, the voice, the voice of Ahlu Sunnah wal Jama'ah. Assalamu alaikum. So, yeah, we started speaking about Gauteng's uh, etols. Uh, there was a major kind of Twitter uh, outburst uh, at the weekend as uh, Titan Baweni and uh, the Gauteng, uh, the Gauteng Premier, David Makura, were uh, arguing with each other about uh, etols. The Gauteng Premier says that they're proceeding with their plan to have the etols scrapped and they will be making representations and meeting the President Ramaphosa soon. Uh, Tito Mawen immediately tweeted back and said, No ways. Hi, 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 hi. There's no ways that ETOLs are going to be scrapped. I'm sorry, but we're going to have to negotiate on these things. There's no ways ETOLs are going to be scrapped. That debt still has to be paid back. You see, uh, the South African government uh, has to be known as, um, as uh, uh, a, a reliable partner that it does. You know, it's willing to pay its debt. It's apparently also happening, you know, as Moody's is preparing to downgrade us to junk status. So now, um, I wonder. About, I wonder if I wonder if the discount on South Africa's bonds will actually decrease when we move into junk status. <laughs> anyway, anyway, yeah. So now there was a big fight between the Gauteng Premier and the Finance Minister. The Finance Minister reckons these debts have to be paid. Uh, the, the Premier says, no ways. Uh, they know how illegitimate these debts are in the Gauteng province. Now, you see, the Gauteng Highway Improvement Project cost uh, somewhere between 17 and 18 billion rands. And according to studies that were done into the average uh, price, construction price per kilometer highway, uh, in actual fact, it should have been around about uh, 7 billion rands. So we overpaying by a tune of more than 10 billion rands for these highways. And in actual fact, this is something that the public is very keenly aware of. And uh, I would say that uh, this is one of the main reasons why uh, people just simply refuse to get the e-tags and to uh, register to pay the e-tolls. A woefully, a woefully small uptake in, in people willing to pay. And uh, the government, uh, I'm afraid, has got its only, has only has itself to blame for all of this. This is like, uh, you know, people will sit here and say, look, you know what, you can steal as much as you like from ESCOM as long as I get my electricity. Uh, I, I don't care how much you're stealing as long as I get my electricity. That's fair go to you, Tana. I'm also struggling to get by in life. Okay, so you managed to get yourself on a, on a, um, how much is it? Uh, something like what is it? Ninety-one thousand rands. No, 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 no. Now when I'm thinking about it, I'm, I'm like, I'm actually staggered that that is actually how much our MPs are paying us. MP salary. I'm sure it's ninety-one thousand rand. That's what I seem to remember. Um, no dear, South Africa. I'm getting the the MPs in in Britain. Let's just have a quick look how much they get paid. Seventy-six thousand pounds. That's the annual salary. Hmm. For MPs in the UK, MP salary, South Africa. I'm sure it was 91,000 rand or so in the elections. Uh, 
Uh, they don't have a monthly salary. Um, cabinet ministers, we have cabinet ministers. I don't want cabinet ministers, I want MPs. Uh, anyway, it is. It's around about 91,000 rand a month. MPs are about paying themselves 91,000 rands a month. Uh, all sorts of corruption is happening in state-owned enterprises. Now the politicians want to do uh, lifestyle audits of all SOE employees, but still not having lifestyle audits of themselves. Um, but then again, you know, when you're earning 91,000 bucks a month, geez, well, that's not a bad little salary for sitting, for, for, for sleeping in Parliament um, and not doing your job. 91,000 rand, and you've got that guaranteed for five years. Yeah, you can do something with that kind of money, I must say. So anyway, but, you know, um, people feel, hey, you know what? I'm on my own. I don't care about the system. I can't afford to get a pension fund. Uh, if I get sick, I have to go to a government hospital and sit in a queue and hope that I don't die uh, before I, I'm, I'm given attention. And I hope uh, that uh, when I am given attention that I'm given some kind of professional attention and I don't die as a result of being given attention. As as happens in hospitals, has happened to a few friends of mine in public hospitals. So you know, um, people who find themselves like uh, uh, tossed onto the sidelines of the system, which is in actual fact, unfortunately, the majority of the people in this country. I mean, just consider so like something like seventy percent of all cars on the road are, are uninsured. People, a majority of the people in this country have feel no affinity towards our system. They feel no, no loyalty towards it. If they think about the system, they probably think of it either with fear, hatred, or anger. And many of the people who are peopling the system nowadays also feel this way. They don't feel that the system is a humane system, that it is an efficient system. They feel that it is inefficient, it messes up people's lives, uh, and uh, in no ways can it be seen as can this be seen as civil service. Uh, and that being the case, most people are populating the system nowadays to look after their own pockets, uh, to get jobs for pals, uh, to st- pull for a little bit from the stores and get a little bit petrol out of the petrol tank. And all of this stuff is, is, is costing us in terms of efficiency and so on. And I mean, really, what is needed in South Africa is for us to move over to a human society rather than the systemically based inhuman society, this corporate society that we have. So anyway, uh, you know, you, you, you can call on your cred for only so many years. No, we're revolutionaries. We fought apartheid. We did all of these things. I mean, you know, when I was risking my life to get rid of apartheid, I didn't see any of these guys. These guys who make out that they're big heroes nowadays. You know, they were big heroes in front of television screens and so on. Most of the real hardworking people on the ground never, ever got anywhere near parliament, never got a sniff of parliament. Most of them died unknown. Uh, or they living, still living, unknown. And then, and that really is the way real heroes are supposed to live. You know, um, when you put up onto a big stage and you're given a big fat salary and then you start selling out your country, as so many leaders have done. As so many leaders have done in countries all around the world. I was just reading about Ulysses Grant last night, uh, the guy who led the unionist cause in the Civil War. Um, he was a fantastic general. But everything, everything else in life, he was a pretty useless guy. Uh, I mean, he was virtually bankrupt when the Civil War broke out uh, and rapidly became the general of the forces, um, of the Union forces. And then after, after uh, the Civil War finished, uh, on a wave of popularity, he was voted into power. And he he was he was reelected a bit like Donald Trump and and George W. Bush. You know, it doesn't matter how bad the president is, he's sitting in there and he's taking us through some dangerous times. So we're going to stick with him. Basically, that's how Western democracy works. So you can get an idiot uh, reelected to uh, to look at Tony Blair. He was going for a third term when his own party had to turn on him and throw him out. And the Labour Party, I'm afraid, simply has never recovered from having uh, Hitler at, uh, at, at its helm. Uh, and, of course, now ever since the Conservative Party in Britain has been trying to outdo the Labour Party by producing one Hitler after another. Did you know that David Cameron actually lost South Africa's nuclear bombs? No. He was like some little little shadow minister when uh, South Africa decided to denuclearize. 
uh, back, I think it was around 95. And and Britain was apparently going to decommission the bombs. (laughs) And he was instructed, right, okay, you you must take these six nuclear bombs to a warehouse in Oman, in Arabia, yes. Uh, this uh, warehouse is unguarded. And, you know, depending on who you believe, three bombs or one bomb disappeared out of this unguarded warehouse. And exactly where the rest of the bombs ended up, no one's really sure. The rumors are that in actual way, when North, North Korea exploded its first uh, nuclear device, that was in actual fact one of South Africa's apartheid bombs that went off there. Um... So, you know, uh, that, that, that was David Cameron. Of course, he, uh, he led uh, the invasion of Libya and the complete uh, destruction of that country. Um, uh, Theresa May actually hasn't gone to war. I think she's just too useless to go to war. Uh, but then she did, uh, she did claim, uh, you know, well, she did uh, send bombs in on Syria and so on. Uh, and did like, you know, stand up in front of Parliament and go on and on and on about that sarin nerve gas attack in Gotha. We must, we must, cannot abide by this. And of course it was all false. The gas canister that released the gas uh, was supposed to have been dropped by a helicopter. Uh, but in actual fact, it was found inside the basement of a building. You know, no holes in the roofs or nothing. So it's impossible that that gas canister could have been dropped by a helicopter by the Assad forces. So, yeah, there's old Theresa May. Uh, you know, she, 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 she's also willing to do a bit, but she's a bit of an idiot, I suppose. Now she's trying to get Brexit done. I'm so glad that um, uh, that Britain came up with this Brexit idea. You know, I'm so glad that they've got Boris Johnson. I'm so glad that there's a man like Boris Johnson alive, well, and uh, very well fed in Britain today who is preparing and dreaming of the day when he's going to take over the reins of power in London. I'm really looking forward to the day that Boris Johnson takes over the reins of power in London, because that will be Britain's, whatever remnants of credibility that Britain has. The day that Boris Johnson steps into number 10 Downing Street with his ruffled up hair uh, is going to be a really wonderful day. A really wonderful day, almost as good as the day when, uh, I'll tell you a very funny story after this one, because Boris Johnson is probably one of the worst things that could happen to Britain. I think Brexit is also one of the worst things that can happen to Britain. And given what Britain has been doing with all of these uh, supposed wars on terror, given the amount of people, of Muslims who have died as a result of Britain's actions since 2001, I am really hoping that Boris Johnson is going to be stepping into uh, number 10 Downing Street before the end of the year. I really am looking forward to it. And I'm really looking forward to Britain crashing out of the EU with like a really hard Brexit. I really would like to see that, really. It'd be bad for the European Union, which is a cowardly little consortium of of countries. Um, Germany now, like sort of uh, supporting the Venezuelan coup and uh, now increasingly um, getting on the side of, of America. But then, of course, you've got Angela Merkel, people saying he's on the way out, saying that in uh, 50 years' time, uh, Germany is going to be a majority Muslim country. The, 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 the demographics just speak to it. But anyway, here in South Africa, we've also got our own rotten. No, no, I just want to tell you one funny story. Uh, you see, it was the Australian bicentennial was coming up. 200 years since Australia was uh, was formed. Of course, it was uh, originally a, a, a colony for convicts. Britain used to like sort of ship all of its convicts and uh, many Irish freedom fighters. Uh, many Irish convicts uh, ended up uh, in in um, in Australia, shipped off there by Queen Victoria. So anyway, it's uh, the the bicentennial celebrations. Of course, only white people celebrating. The Aborigines are kind of like sitting on the sidelines, shaking their heads. And um, so the, uh, the the white people in Australia wanted to celebrate 200 years of white people being in Australia. And um, so they said, well, you know, there's only one real way that white people can celebrate 200 years of white people being in Australia. And that is getting like our number one favorite white person, uh, which is Queen Victoria. We want... We want to put a huge, big statue of Queen Victoria here in the center of Sydney. 
we want the biggest statue of Queen Victoria that we can get our hands on. So Australia sent uh, people all around the world to go and find a really big statue of Queen Victoria. And as, uh, as uh, you know, they found themselves uh, in the British Isles, and uh, the Irish got to hear about this, the search for Queen Victoria. And they said, oh, wait a moment now, there, just a moment now. Um, I seem to recall, you know, after we got our independence from the Sassanach, we uh, we put a little uh, we put a wee statue of the Queen uh, down in a basement in the bottom of the, uh, the, the 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 Dublin Post Office. Now you know the Dublin Post Office was a great place for the Irish. You know, in nineteen sixteen, some patriots came and took over the post office. It's a, it's a bit like taking over television stations. You know, the post office was in charge of the telegraph. If in charge of the Dublin Telegraph, you can send telegraphs all around the country. You can see people, hi, you know. <laughs> the Irish patriots were basically, <laughs> were basically trying to kidnap her. We're trying to take over a WhatsApp app. You know, they couldn't download an app, so they went and took over the, over the post office. Yeah, you know, basically they're given the power of WhatsApp, you see, by taking over the post office. But but be that as it may, all right, even my, my mother's hometown of Glass, they tried to take over the post office once. But anyway, so uh, the Irish patriots, they take over the post office, and uh, of course the British come in and they, they you know, they, they, they send the warships into Dublin Harbour and they're shelling the city and killing the Irish and... The, the 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 British aligned uh, students at Trinity University take to shooting and a flanking movement, and the Irish patriots are 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 undone and found themselves in jail and being shot to death before firing squads and so on. Or of course, rotten in jail for a long time and eventually becoming prime minister, as you know, this has been a traditional route that one. Um. So yeah, yeah. So the Irish, when they get their independence, they take one look at this great big. It's a huge, big, overweight statue of Queen Victoria. She's sitting there in the main road. There's no way we're going to have that anymore. Next thing you know, Queen Victoria, she's created, she's put into a into a basement and forgotten about until the uh, until the Australians turn two hundred. And of course, the Australians always try to pretend they're South Africans. They tough like like they are in Africa or something. Um, you know the, the the most dangerous animal on the, the Australian uh, continent is the dingo. Yeah, yeah, the dingo is the most dangerous animal of the Australian continent. Can you believe it? I think they've got some beetles and some spiders that are also poisonous. But when it comes to real danger, nothing beats a dingo. And that's basically Australia. You know, everyone thinks of Australia as like ninety nine percent desert and it's sun baked and it's hard. But in actual fact, it's uh, you know. The dingo. Basically, the dingo sums up Australia. So anyway, Australia, after 200 years of independence, want to have a huge, big statue of Queen Victoria erected in the middle of Sydney. And they find one. They find one. Can you believe it? In the Dublin Post Office. Well, let me tell you something. The day they put Queen Victoria on a ship and sailed her out of Dublin Harbour on the way to Australia, you can just imagine what a party the country had celebrating Queen Victoria being put on a ship and shipped off to Australia like so many of their forefathers were. Well, anyway, that was the Queen Victoria story I wanted to share with you. Um, so anyway, yeah, so now, now Fagilin Balula is wanting the country to pay off uh, the, the Houting Highway Freeway um, Improvement Project. Uh, it cost us uh, 19.7 billion rands and it should only have cost us 9 billion rands. So um, so now this is the main reason why I'm saying there's no way. Look, you know what? You can you can rip off to a certain extent, but then when you want to people to start paying for your largesse, like they're expecting direct payments now. You know, people are traveling on the highways. They're happy to travel on your highways, but you expect us to start paying for it, and we know that you've stolen the money. There's no way they're going to do it. And so uh, that's where we find ourselves now. So Tijan Bawini, he's sitting there in Cape Town and he's thinking he can now dictate the pace because he's the finance minister and debts must be paid and profits must be made. Hmm? They want their profits. They want their profits from the highway project. Now, I can get profits from the highway project when you've inflated the cost by about uh, by over 100%. You, go, you, you can't make profits out of such a thing. 
Um, and now the Deteet Maweni saying that, you know, the government expects profits and this is, you know, surety of contract and, uh, you know, the laws of investment must take place. Ha, ah, sorry, Tito, catch a wake up, man. Go back to Guiani, retire from your job and cook for your mother for the rest of your life. That's my advice to Tito Maweni. Um, you know, I wouldn't mind if we... Well, anyway, you know. Okay, so Tito Maweni, he's saying, no, no, that you must have surety of contract. But I'm sorry, Tito, if you wanted surety of contract, then you should have had a 9.7 billion rand bill for the highways that were built around Gauteng instead of 19 billion rands. And that's the reason why the tolls aren't being, being paid. Wayne Duvenach, chief executive of Outer, that's the organization undoing tax abuse, says TE tolls can't be resurrected. There's no ways that you're going to get people to pay for these things. And Alta is willing to assist government in finding legitimate solutions to end the impasse, he says. He reckons that these include renegotiating the debt with the Public Investment Corporation. Well, there's a good one, yeah. yeah. Terminating the collections contract with the electronic toll collections because this is seen as a massive and unnecessary cost. Buddies in there trying to get their little contracts. Reassessing the national budget to include allocations by Treasury towards the debt, including a possible allocation from the fuel levy. Uh, So petrol is going to cost a lot more expensive in Gauteng from now on. This is one way that the government could do it, unless, of course, there's public resistance to all of that. Divanaka says the organization also believes Sanrail may be owed more revenue from the profits made by the three main toll concessionaires on long-distance toll routes and has urged Treasury to investigate these contracts and reclaim the funds owed to Sanrail. So on the long-route ones, you don't pay as much. On the short route ones, that's where, like, you know, there's high turnover. You know, people are trying to get to work. You go and put this obstacle in their way, and they have to hop that obstacle every single day of their lives. Twice a day they have to hop that obstacle and pay. So, the, you know, the short routes in the, the urban centers are, are big bucks. But the longer ones, like the Moya River, Toll Plaza, and so on, they uh, they don't make as much money. The ones out there in the northwest province and so on, they don't make as much money. But these people are not paying so Sanrol the, the the money that is owed to them, says Divanacha. And so you know, if you want to start uh, making noise about toll roads and Sanrol and and books must be balanced. Then start with a little bit of honesty first, says Divanacha. And I must say that that's not a bad idea at all. Well, the world's top platinum miners kicked off talks with the unions today in what is expected to be a really tough round of wage talks. Uh, That's with AMCU, the uh, Association of Mine Workers and Construction Union, saying that they want a minimum salary of 17,000 rand a month. That's around 48% above what uh, employees are being paid at the moment. Um, that may sound like crazy, but but uh, platinum mines have been making uh, very nice profits this year. Anglo Platinum says that they expect profits to increase by 80% this year. Yes, that's right. You didn't mishear me. 80%. Uh, Anglo Platinum expects profits to increase this year. Sibanya Stillwater, which is uh, set to meet the union this week, says the platinum price has remained depressed. It is, it is, it has remained depressed. It's around about $808 an ounce, if my memory serves me correctly. And he says that this demand by AMCU is not sustainable. However, they're not saying anything about how much money they're making out of rhodium and palladium. And they think that we don't read the news. Sabanya spokesman James Wellstead said there has been decades of underinvestment in capital. And that is why there has been mine closures in the last few years. You cannot pay out everything in higher wages. We need to also invest in sustainability of the industry if we want to preserve jobs in the long term. It's very funny, you know, uh, they're speaking about investment. Uh, but in actual, most of the investment in the platinum mines is in actual fact in uh, high, uh, high technology um, extraction methods uh, that uh, reduce the reliance on labor. So in actual fact, the investment that's going into the most of the uh, platinum mines today is aimed at cutting jobs and reducing job security. Uh, so I'm sorry, James, that doesn't go down well with AMCU. Amplats and Impala Platinum declined to comment on the negotiations. <laughs> yeah, so South Africa has the biggest and most lucrative platinum reserves in the world. We provide about 70% of all platinum in the world. Uh, 
And we've got the biggest reserves, uh, but that 2014 strike has cost the industry billions and forced firms to cut jobs. Well, maybe you should have given in and paid them all, you know. And like, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm being a little bit kind of like um, red shirtish today, I suppose. Negotiations may be tough, however, as high prices for palladium and rhodium and weaker rand currency have boosted profits at Amplats and Sabania. And now combined with the Lonman, you know, Sabania has really uh, got, got some tough uh, negotiations ahead of them. And the Amplats, after several years of losses, so, you know, Lonman was, of course, um, the Maricana massacre company. And uh, Sibani is just going to join with it. And they just come out of a five-month uh, strike in the gold sector. And uh, now, according to analysts, if uh, Amco had just held on for a little bit longer, um, uh, uh, Sibani would have been able to pay off its debts and uh, was looking at uh, approaching banks to restructure um, repayments and so on. Of course, it would have had a high interest rate going with it. It would have cost a lot of money. And uh, it may have been cheaper. Uh, for them to to strike a deal with Amku, uh, but Amku caved, and uh, the rest is history, as they say. Um, Amplats will probably be under the most pressure as their earnings and share price have run the most this year of the bunch, according to analysts. That's after it said that Amplats said that its uh, profits will gain up by eighty percent in the year. Okay. Jabu Mabuza is really hard working, I must say. He's chairman of uh, ESCOM. Uh, which has the biggest risk to the nation's economy, you would think he'd be working really hard to keep the lights on. But it's not stopping him from taking up posts at other companies. He's now taking up a non-executive director role at Multi-Choice. Uh, he's also chairman of Anheuser Bush in Bev's Africa board. That's the SAB in South Africa. Sun International, he's also chairman. And he's chairman of the Casino Association of South Africa. So this guy's not exactly interested in halal. He did recently give up the chairmanship of Telcom, though. Uh, but now he's just taken on a noggin there. Well, of course, you see, you get paid. You get paid for all of these things. Well, anyway, good luck to him. Uh, hopefully, he's going to be able to manage uh, to work all of those jobs and do justice to them all. Well, today, South African bonds weakened, but only slightly. Uh, they're still finding support in the, the weekly auction as markets wait for clarification from the United States Federal Reserve on monetary policy. Everyone expecting Federal Reserve to merely cut its interest rates by 0.25 percentage points at its next week meeting this month. That's all we have time for for today. I hope I didn't bore you. Please don't join us tomorrow uh, because we'll be starting an hour before this, if you get join, if you tune in the same time next week, we're going to be finishing the show. So uh, we'd like you to tune in uh, and, and uh, like around about fifty eight minutes earlier than it is right now. Then you can get the beginning of the show. Jazakallah for joining us. I make dua that whatever trading activity you got up to today is profitable and above all halal. Assalamu alaikum warahmatullahi wabarakatuh.